There is, um, admittedly, anxiety in my heart even now as I come to preach on anxiety from the scripture. So you have to know that, and I just got a text before I walked up, up here saying, praying for you from someone in our body, and thank you for praying. And I don't know what it is. It happens to me every Sunday, actually. I preach to high school students every Sunday night, and then junior hires on Monday, and there's just something about the weightiness of God's word that um, you don't want to get it wrong, and you want to um, teach it in a way that is helpful and honors Christ. Well, then I, I think, maybe as a way of introduction, you might relate to a sign that I read about on a top of a chaplain's door. It said this, if you have worries, come in and let's talk them over. If not, come in and tell us how you do it, right? We understand, right? We can relate to the fact that we all worry, we all fret, right? We all have anxious thoughts uh, throughout our day. And maybe this morning, you come in with worry. You come in with anxious thoughts that consume your heart and your mind. Maybe it's big. Maybe it's small. If you're a mom, maybe you're worried about what you're going to cook for lunch this afternoon. Maybe you have people coming over and you want to be hospitable, but you're starting to think about the plan and the recipes and things you have to go to the store and how you're going to get there and what time it's all going to be ready. If you're preaching this morning, you might be worried about what other people might think. Or you might have a fear of man. You might be worried that your pastor, who's also your boss, is sitting down there in the front row and he's going to review this with me on Tuesday. <laughs> so maybe that's you this morning. <laughs> maybe you're worried about your kids, as me and my wife, even last night, praying over some worries in our own home about our son and our daughter, where we're going to do school and how that's going to work. Should we continue to do the thing that we are doing? And what about their friends? What about their future? If you're a dad, you might be thinking about something that's going on at work right now. You might be anxious in your heart, knowing there's something that has to be done tomorrow morning, first thing, and you've got to get in early to make that thing happen. I remember one time being at a men's retreat, and a man stood up and asked for prayer. I think, Scott, you might have been there. And he stood up and he said, I wake up almost every day in a cold sweat, worrying about the fact that I have to raise some, I think he said $200,000 a month for the organization that he works for. So he's got to go out and make cold calls and go door to door and raise money. And he said that the beginning of the month was just the worst, knowing that he has the clock ticking. Maybe you have concerns and worries like that this morning. You're a young person. You're unsure about your future. Seniors in the room who I'll get to celebrate with tonight as we celebrate in high school ministry our seniors and celebrate them. Maybe you're unsure what the future holds. You're unsure where school, what school you'll be going to. Or, and, and maybe the decision you have made you're not sure about, and so you begin to worry in your heart. Maybe this morning you're awaiting the test results because they found something at the doctor this week, and you're not sure what the future holds. Maybe you're a farmer. And the rain has brought worries to your mind as they might affect your crops or your harvest. Or how about this one? You're worried about your finances. Maybe even right now where you sit, you have enough money to make the May rent, 
but June seems impossible. You're not sure if you can work enough shifts in time to make the money appear. Or maybe you're unmarried and you desire to be married. And so you're worried. You're worried it's not going to happen. I just want to say emphatically to you, not only do I relate to your worries, I understand it as a broken man, but I also want to tell you there is hope for you today. There is hope, and it's found in God's sure word. It's the one thing I love about our church. We're going to bring you back to God's word. If you don't like what we're doing this morning, then you won't like the youth ministry. You won't like the children's ministry because we're going to point people back to God's solutions and God's remedy, specifically this morning, to your worried heart. And so I'm going to ask you, please grab your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. I've had the privilege of teaching this book to our junior hires and our high schoolers um, this past semester. And um, if you don't know much about Philippians, I just want to give you just a quick overview. You've got here now Paul in prison. He's writing this from Rome to a church here at Philippi. And he's most likely chained to a prison guard as he sits in prison. And he's actually not sure if he's going to make it out alive. Plenty of reasons, right, for the church to be anxious for him. He has a concern for gospel progress in the city and for the people. It really is, though, as as much as there's concern, it's a letter of friendship. It's actually a happy letter. It's a joyful letter, joy appearing more than 15 times throughout this little letter. And he kind of writes it in response to a gift that the people sent. And really, the purpose is found in Philippians, I think it's found in Philippians 1.27. If you have your Bible open, look down there at verse 27 in chapter 1. For his purpose, he says it this way, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul here worried about gospel progress, worried that the people would live their lives worthy of the gospel. We're going to look at Philippians 4, but if you just jump to the end of Philippians 3, as we get ready to start Philippians 4, you'll see that Paul's concern there is to have a singular focus upon Christ, upon Christ. And he really... Like he said in 127, he comes at the end of 3 and he's, I want the church to be unified. I I want the church to have a unity that, that is unlike any other unity seen in the world today. And that will lead to gospel progress. And so he calls the church to be unified. And in chapter 4, he calls them to stand firm in their unity. To be essentially on guard. He points out two women there in 4-2, Euodia and Syntyche. He says, I want them to agree in the Lord. And then he starts to give some exhortations, some final thoughts as he closes his letter. And, and what I want to look, look at specifically is verses 6 and 7. I'll read them and we will dive in. And kind of here's my, my outline for the morning. Paul gives really two commands and a promise. Two commands that go hand in hand and a promise. The first command is refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. It comes from verse 6 and I'll talk about it. The second is request of the Lord. That's the second command. And then finally, the promise there is rest 
in the Lord. Look down at verse 6, and we will dive in and look at this this morning. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There it is in our outline this morning, right there in verse 6. Refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. He says it clearly. Do not be anxious about anything. It is in the text a command. It's as clear as me telling my son, I need you to go take out the trash. It's a command. Literally, this do not be anxious, Paul's saying, stop worrying about anything. Stop worrying about anything. It's a command. I like to say that it's God's way of saying no worries. No worries. And Paul uses that word anxious, and it's actually the exact same word he used in, in, in earlier in the book. If you just turn your Bibles to 2.20, he used this word to describe Timothy. He's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and he says this in 2.20, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That word concerned is our word anxious in our text. This is a concern here. And so you, you're left wondering, wait, Paul, first you're saying that Timothy was concerned, and now you're saying don't be anxious. You're confused. Well, I think there are in this text two different kinds of worry. There is a concern that, like Timothy, that is genuinely concerned for the welfare of other people that desires their best. Timothy as a pastor, concern for the church, that what's happening to them, always a shepherd. But then in our text, our text, we, we have a, a really an ungodly concern where Timothy's is focused upon the Lord, it's focused upon other people. Paul in, in chapter four says, don't be anxious about anything. It's really about an ungodly fear, an ungodly anxiety, almost always with something in the future, of what might happen. And it's an absolute controlling fear. It's a controlling worry. It's overwhelming. It grips our hearts, and we feel the weight of it. Sometimes even we feel like it's physical because it's the kind of worry that essentially is godless. It's the kind of worry that is, in this text, sinful because it removes God's wisdom, God's sovereign power, and it replaces it with the idol of self. This kind of anxiety and fear, it's pervasive today. And if you, for a moment, I'd just like to give you some stats related to what psychologists say about anxiety. There's, they have this big umbrella they call anxiety disorders. And under that general category are a number of diagnoses related to worry. Here they are. Here's just a few of them. Acute stress disorder. Adjustment disorder. Often found in young people when they go from one town, they move to a new school, have a hard time adjusting. They have a disorder for this. There is this one, agoraphobia, in which you fear and avoid places and situations that might cause you to panic and make you feel trapped, helpless, or embarrassed. There is OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. There are panic attacks. There is post-traumatic stress disorder common among soldiers that have gone to war or someone who's experienced something very intense. 
There are social phobias. And really, just any kind of phobia can fall under anxiety disorders. I like this one personally. It's called arachibutorophobia, the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. We've got a name for that. I can't even pronounce that. I feel bad for the Spanish ministry who has to translate for me. But according to the ADAA, by the way, that's the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, there are right now 74.5 million young people. I preach to young people, so a lot of my stats are focused on young people. But there's at least 17 million of those that have a diagnosable psychiatric disorder. 17 million young people right now running around the United States with a diagnosable psychiatric disorder. And maybe it would surprise you to know that the most common, with over 30% of young people, the most common are anxiety disorders. That's among 13 to 18 year olds. And they, they, they did a large sample of young people and they surveyed, and what they found was that the start, the start of anxiety disorders on average was at age six. Anxiety in the child's heart. I even don't have it in my notes, but lots of good things being written, even for Christians today, on children experiencing anxiety. Age six, the average age. And maybe the most shocking thing that I thought in the report is this, that what what child anxiety can actually predict. This is what the psychologists say that child anxiety can predict. In the report of those who were diagnosed, it can predict these issues later in life. Panic attacks, depression, separation anxiety disorder, conduct disorder, social phobias, and the one um, I think we don't really love to talk about, suicidal thoughts, suicidal plans and attempts. I even saw an article just released in Time Magazine that the gap is closing between young women who attempt suicide and young men. It's closing. And what often comes up in this is actually even things like, lately, the thing is social media, causing anxiety in the heart, causing frustration. And you might even say that as a culture, we're just a bunch of worry warts. You've heard that term, I'm sure. We worry all the time. And we don't need really a bunch of stats. We don't need a bunch of studies or psychological terms to know that we struggle with this. And and what we want, what we want is what I saw. I think Jason Torres, I was at Grace Group this week, and he was wearing a shirt. It said, Akuna Matata. Right? Don't we want that? It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy, Akuna Matata. Yeah. Right? We want that. It's no passing craze. It means no worries. Wait, we want it. And it sounds like a relaxing and nice way to live in the jungle when you're a Pomona and Tuma, whatever they're called. And we still have, but the reality is we still have plenty of situations and times we're prone to worry. Money, friends, relationships, pleasing people, jobs, responsibilities, school, AP exams, some of our students. Homework, going to the dentist, that's a classic. Success, reputation, and our futures. Just this week, I was driving with Blake, and my wedding ring was not on my finger. (laughs) And I looked down, and I was like, oh, no. Right, that fear that overtakes you. I have no control. I don't know where it is. And so I called Bethany. I said, I feel embarrassed to tell you this. (laughs) 
I don't know where my wedding ring is. We just look on the bathroom sink and see if it's there. Sometimes I take it off. If, if, maybe if I'm doing my hair or something and I take it off so I don't get stuff on it. And it wasn't there. And I had a choice to make in that moment. Will I fret and worry? Or will I do something else that God has called us to do? I, I, had, I had concerns this week about not having enough counselors for summer camp, concerns for River of Life and summer ministries, finishing a seminary class that I had to finish up, finishing even my sermon. I had a number of different meetings, including elders meetings last week, personal counseling, phone calls, getting ready for a Bible study that was canceled and then came back the next week. There was Mother's Day, right, not having a gift or not making it special, and then, of course, the one, money. So why do we worry so much? Why is it that we worry? What are we worried about? How, how does this make sense? Do not be anxious about anything. What happens is our worry is not based on reality. It's often based on fear. I love the way Robert Jones says. He says, worry is a false prophecy. It comes to tell you the, the future, but it's false. It tells you something about the future that's not based on reality. And worry and anxiety, they're, they're often based just on that, on ungodly fear. It's an ungodly fear and worry. It's characterized by unbiblical thinking. You're focused on your circumstances without regard for God. It's self-centered, even as I admitted my own fear of man. Self-centered. It can motivate us to commit other sins, such as lying or failing to fulfill our responsibilities. And how about this one? Anxiety can even arise from guilt. The fear of being found out. Oh no, what will they think? Or the fear of the consequences. What will happen to me? or even, ultimately, the fear of God's wrath. Do not be anxious about anything. We struggle with worry. Would you just for a moment turn your Bible to Matthew 6? Jesus said something about worry. Essentially, he says, refuse to worry. But he says it three different times. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, no doubt you've read this. I just want to make a couple observations about it. Matthew 6, 25 says this. We'll read through 27. It says this, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You know what Jesus' point there is? He's telling his followers that worry accomplishes absolutely nothing. It accomplishes nothing. You ever just laid in bed and been worried? What does that do? I told my students, you might as well just get up out of bed and go study for the test that you're worried about. I think you'd be better off with less sleep than worried. In fact, worry actually causes a lots of other problems. I'm mindful, even as it's not even in my notes, of my boss I used to work for in the secular work environment who had ulcers, plagued by worry when she'd walk in the door. And then finally, I remember me and Bethany had to go sadly visit her in the hospital because she had worried herself sick. It causes problems. Keep reading there in Matthew 6. Jesus says in verse 28, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Stop right there. Jesus' point there, you you, might have missed it, because he says, you of little faith. He doesn't say, you of no faith. He's talking to his followers, to his own disciples even. He says, you of little faith. The reason why we can say that worry is sin is because it lacks faith. It is simply, and I love the way Jerry Bridges writes it this way. He says, anxiety is sin because it's a distrust of God. When I give way to anxiety, I am in effect believing that God does not care for me, that he will not take care of me in any particular circumstance. So it's a distrust of God. And maybe secondly, it's sin because it's a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives, that God is orchestrating the things in our lives for his plan and his purpose. We could also say that worry is a form of idolatry. Idolatry is, right, it's worshiping something other than the one true living God. And in most of the time, when we're worried, we're trusting in ourselves. I think I one time heard C.J. Mahaney, he was talking about if two Christians were at the, at the um, getting water at work, and they were standing at the water cooler, and they were talking, and they are like, oh, how are you doing? Like, oh, I've been struggling a little bit with this. And if we were really honest with ourselves, like, well, what are, you, what are you struggling with? Well, I'm just trying to dethrone God today and trying to sit on my own throne of self because I'm worshiping self right now. Like, if we were going to spell it out, that's what it would be. It's idolatry. And have you considered maybe that you want control? You want the power. You want to sit on the throne of your own life and make life work out the way you want it to. That sometimes is why you're anxious. Have you considered this morning... Your anxiousness this week, your worries, do you lack the faith to believe he's sovereign and in control of your life? Proverbs 12, 25, don't have it on screen, but it says this, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. It weighs him down. You ever feel that weight? You ever feel the anxiousness? Again, worried, sick? What can you do about it? Well, first and foremost, you have to refuse to worry. You've got to not be anxious about anything. It's a clear command from God's word, both from Jesus himself and here in Philippians. Do not be anxious. But here's where hope comes in. There's two parts to this command. I want to take you to the second, uh, the second command, which is simply request of the Lord. These two go hand in hand. You can see it there in the text. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And here's the transition. But, but... In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I'll just say it simply. The antidote to your worried heart is prayer. It's prayer. The Christian in trial, trouble, worry, doubt, anxiety, stress, all of it is to come and request of the Lord. Bring those things to the Lord. And what Paul does is he kind of loads up a bunch of cinnamons. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, request, there's a bunch of synonyms to say you got to come pleading to the Lord. you got to come running to him like a little child does to mom and dad and say, I need help in the moment right now with my worried heart. 
and you petition the Lord. You cry out to him. You don't doubt him. You trust him. And you don't run to him often as we do as a last resort, but run to him first when your anxious thoughts begin to come. You don't blame God, but you beg him for mercy and for help with your worries. Jerry Bridges, in his fantastic book, The Practice of Godliness, a follow-up to his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he says this, the great antidote to anxiety is to come to God in prayer. We are to pray about everything. Nothing is too big for him to handle, and nothing is too small to escape his attention. Do you believe that this morning? That nothing is too big? Right, everything from lost keys to lost jobs to lost hopes to lost friends that cause your heart to worry, God is big enough to handle it. You must believe it. He can handle it all. You have to trust him. Are you worried at work? Are you slammed with deadlines? God can handle that. You have multiple businesses and you worry that you're not sure how things are going to go and what the future holds. Listen, you must pray. You must run to God for help. Petition him. Are you worried in school? You've got those finals that are, that are coming up. You've got another year left at, at this school and, and you're just not sure what's going to happen. Listen, let your requests be made known to God. Are you worried at home? Son or daughter just got their driver's license maybe and you worry what might happen. Listen, I can remember, I just, this just came to my mind. I remember one moment in my life where my mom was actively praying for me and I had sat down on my couch. It was in the middle of some Lots of turmoil in my family. And I remember sitting on the, on the couch in this apartment that we had for like two months. And to my left was a little book and a Bible. And I looked down, and it was my mom's handwriting. I looked at it, and it said, for Shay, he just got his driver's license. I pray he would be safe. I didn't even know my mom was worried about that. Maybe you have that worry this morning. But the antidote to that worry is prayer. It's prayer. And then the text says, in everything by prayer and supplication, here it is, with thanksgiving. I love that Paul adds that. He's in a moment here of rejoicing. He just told him in verse 4 to rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And here he says you should pray with an attitude of thanksgiving. It's not too unlike what he wrote to the Colossians when he said continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the minimum, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, you can be thankful that God saved you. You can be thankful that he shed his blood, that out of the depths of your sin, he called you out and made you his own. So you can come always in prayer thanking the Lord that he saved you. Because what happens is a spirit of gratitude, a spirit of thankfulness, it keeps our prayers from being selfish. Keeps them from being focused on self, but on what God has done. I love the way Peter says this. You can be thankful. You can be thankful in prayer because 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's a fantastic promise. He cares. God cares for you. The creator and the sustainer of the universe right now cares for you individually. 
He cares for every single person in this room, the people in the lobby, all the people in the Generations building, everybody on this campus, throughout our city, throughout our state, our country. He cares for everybody individually and corporately. He does it in a personal way, in a loving way, and you can trust him this morning. The things he's doing in your life are for your good. That's what Romans 8, 28, it's not a wrong verse to quote. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So the, mor the morning when you can't find the keys, God's using that. It says everything, all things work together for good. The cure for anxiety and worry and stress about whatever troubles our fearful hearts is prayer. I read this week about the different ways that people try to stop worry. Here's one. Just take a deep breath. You ever heard that one? I'm not going to lie. I was actually trying that one up front this morning. Let's be honest with you. Take a deep breath because the heart starts to, starts to pump. Here's one I thought was interesting. They said set a timer. Just give yourself 15 minutes of worry time and then stop as if it was that easy. Like, that was legit. Like, that's, here's one that I never thought I'd ever say out loud. This one says, yell shred in your head. And picture your worries going through a paper shredder. Visualize them being destroyed. Again, if it was that easy. How about this one? Distract yourself with music, an exercise, a good book, or a movie. And they say, they say it's hard to focus on the negative when you're enjoying yourself. Maybe that'll last for a moment. But God's word says that we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to run to him. Because I work with young people, I'm constantly just reading about the different ways that even the world calls us to help young people. Here's two that they say that work right now. The two options if you have an anxious teenager, 13 to 18 years old, is cognitive behavioral therapy, or what's often called CBT. Essentially, it's a therapy where you condition the behavior in a desired way based on conditioning. So you're scared of water, we can put you in non-threatening situations until you're not scared. Another option is antidepressant medications. And I'm not a medical doctor, but often the side effects of those are greater than what they, the reason you're taking them. But antidepressants often can just numb you to the point where you don't just feel very much at all. And in love, I have to say this, if you're a Christian this morning, you have something far greater than even those. It may be appropriate for you to take antidepressants. You need to walk with your doctor through those things. But at the minimum, if you know Christ, you need to pray. Those things are just trying to relieve symptoms. They can't cure your anxiety because your anxiety starts in your heart. It starts in the place where drugs don't go. It's only the place that the word of God by the power of his spirit can go. And so you need to run to him. You can't fix your heart with those means. Only Christ can fix it. Because, right, we know we have a deeper problem. It's a sin problem. So you have to refuse to worry. You have to request of the Lord. And I love this last part. It's a wonderful promise. If you look down in verse 7, it's simply to rest in the Lord. Look at verse 7. It says this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
That is an amazing promise. When you are willing to put off your anxious thoughts and run to the Lord in prayer, he will give us his peace. You go in the spirit of thanksgiving, as we already talked about, and your worried heart, which longs for rest, which longs for peace, will find it. Peace here is not a command, like refusing to worry or, or, or simply requesting of the Lord. It's a result. This is what happens when we cast every care upon the Lord who cares for us. And you'll see the way Paul describes the kind of peace. Look at the descriptions he gives. He says it's the peace of God. It's the peace of God. It comes by his spirit. It comes through a relationship with him by the blood of Christ. It not only brings initial peace at salvation, but a peace that comes when we trust him completely, running to him with our circumstances and our cares and our anxious thoughts. And by being of God, it's a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. It's a result of the Spirit's working in each life that knows him and trusts him. Paul also says, not only is it of God, he says it surpasses all understanding. All understanding. In a word, it's mind-boggling, this peace. It's not like any kind of peace that you can experience anyplace else outside of the Spirit of God. It is, in that sense, beyond all human comprehension, in fact, it just doesn't even make sense, is what Paul says. You can't explain it. Your heart comes with worries and anxieties, and you run to him, and he brings his peace. Right? It goes far beyond all we can ask or think, because God himself is so much greater and so much higher and so much wiser than our worried hearts. He also says that this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. They'll guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Peace acts like a guard. It's the idea of a soldier protecting a city or protecting it from harm. And I don't know why I have this Monty Python reference in my mind where it's none shall pass. None shall pass. Anxious thought comes in, God's peace deflects it. It's a guard. It protects you. It doesn't mean that anxious thoughts aren't going to come. It means that it's going to protect your heart from fretting over those things, from causing you to fear, causing you to worry. It, it works in that moment to guard against the control that anxiety wants. Right? And it comes to the place of which we need it most. He says it there, will guard your hearts and your minds. Often in the Bible, hearts and minds are the same thing. That's the control center of your life. The place where we worry is the place where God's peace comes. A lot can be happening outside of us, and we can still enjoy the peace of God because it goes down into our hearts. Proverbs 4.23 says it like this, Keep or guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. God's peace does this. It guards. It protects as you run to him. And last, I don't want you to miss this. He says it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. This peace that is mind-boggling, 
that's of God and of his spirit is only found in relationship with Jesus Christ. This peace this morning is only promised to those in Christ Jesus. Listen to me very carefully. If you're not in Christ, I have no hope for you against your anxious heart. If you're not in Christ, you will worry. You will not have the peace that I'm describing this morning apart from Jesus Christ. That is what Paul says in the text. That is what we preach. So if you know Christ, you have to run to him with everything. Request of him and his peace will guard you. But if you don't know him, anxiety and fear continue. And actually, you do have reason to be anxious and fear because you actually stand in opposition to a holy and righteous God. You don't have his peace. You have not experienced his peace. Luke 14, Jesus described it as two armies going to battle. This is God and you. And you have a few guys and he's got a bajillion. You won't win. You need the saving peace that comes from the blood of Christ. Before you can experience the sanctifying peace, you need to experience the saving peace. You need to pray, but you need to pray a different prayer. You need to pray the prayer of repentance for your life of sin. You need to pray in faith, trusting alone in the righteousness that is Christ's for your salvation. That he died upon the cross and three days later rose from the dead, overcoming sin and giving you hope and peace. You can do that this morning. You can pray that Christ would save you and then you can experience the kind of peace that he promises he did all of that for you. That the gospel should be a blessing to us Christians. He did that for us. Right? And it should be the one we preach to those who don't know him. So would you call on him this morning? Pleading for peace if you don't know him by the blood of Christ. Only Christ can save you. Only Christ can bring saving peace. So prayer then comes with peace. And here's, listen to this. It's not because we get what we want in prayer or in our worried moment. It's because we're just simply expressing our trust in God. Right? When we don't have it all figured out, we can trust in a sovereign Lord, a loving God who knows our thoughts. Christ said it this way in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I was amazed this week. I, I saw a stat that said basically the number one command in the Bible is do not be afraid. We need his peace. Isaiah said it this way, if you're thinking in the Old Testament, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you trust the Lord this morning with your anxious thoughts? Would you refuse to worry? Request of him in a spirit of thanksgiving and then rest in his peace. I love the way, and I'll close with this, I love the way Paul Miller, Paul Miller has a book that I highly recommend called A Praying Life. I think this is a sweet promise. He says it this way. Prayer doesn't offer you a less busy life. It offers you a less busy heart. That's helpful. I hope and pray for you as you even go from here and new worries come. You would trust in the sovereign God who rules and reigns over your life.